All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter number 19, 1 Kings chapter number 19, and we're going to continue our lesson on uh, the life of Elijah. We've been going over the life of Elijah, and uh, I've mentioned that these, these do come by and large from, uh, from Butler, John Butler's book on biograph biographical uh, studies of, of people, and in the Bible, Old Testament saints, and, uh, and I've thoroughly enjoyed them. And, uh, and you won't find this in his book, all right? Uh, I, I branched out on my own and, and wrote my own lesson this week uh, because he, he skipped this part. And I'm sure he had good reason to when you're writing lessons. Uh, a lot of times you just don't have, uh, when you're, especially when you're putting it into a book form, there's only so much. You cannot put everything in. And even when I'm going through series sometimes or teaching through a, a book, uh, sometimes there are, you just cannot put everything in. And, uh, and so what, I guess what I'm saying is, hey, take time to study on your own because there is no way uh, that a preacher or that a author or that uh, somebody can go through every portion with you and cover everything. So, uh, boy, you need to sit down and look at things on your own and it'll be a blessing to you. This week I want to look at uh, the worker uh, last week, of course, we looked at uh, the wilderness when Elijah was in the mountain and how he was uh, way up in that mountain and God brought forth the, uh, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but God was not in those things. And then the still small voice, what a great lesson. Uh, that we need to learn not to look for God in the exciting events that take place. And God can be uh, sometimes in those things. There's no doubt about it. The life and ministry of Elijah was very much so uh, a whirlwind. I mean, the fact that, uh, that, he, that he prayed and God withheld the rain and the fact that uh, he, called, he prayed and God sent fire down from heaven and, uh, and, then, and then the raising of the widow's son to life. I mean, God certainly worked in very uh, miraculous ways in Elijah's ministry, but in the mount there, he wanted him to understand, hey, God does use that still small voice. And it's not always in the big display, and it's not always in the big events, and it's not always in this, but God many times will work in a small way in our life, and we need to be attentive to that still small voice. And uh, what, a, what a fabulous lesson that we need to really should learn in our lives. This week I want to look at the worker. Uh, and that is uh, Elijah, we ended last week with Elijah having been given several things that he was to do. And one of those things was to anoint Elisha to be a prophet of God to replace Elijah. And the work of the ministry of God is of such importance that it requires a non-stop recruiting, training, and carrying, and passing of the torch to other people. Uh, we need to realize that. We need to, sometimes we need to step back from the picture and, and look at the greater picture that God is, is, is not just working in the here and now, but that He's going to continue to work after our lifetime. Boy, we need to stop and think about that and realize, oh, this is a perpetual thing that God is doing, and it must go forward. We are involved in a relay race that is far longer than any one person could run, much less uh, any one person could live through. 
And so we have to understand that, and we see that, of course, here in 1 Kings chapter number 19. Look with me at verse number 19. The Bible says this, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to be in your house on your day. Father, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that you would encourage and touch and strengthen each and every person, Father, that's here. And God, will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As I look at this passage, I'm reminded that uh, of the verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, the Bible says, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou also to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're talking about passing the torch. We're talking about the worker and Elijah uh, going and finding Elisha. And as God had directed him to do and to anoint him as the prophet in his place. In other words, that Elisha would carry on the ministry of Elijah. And oh, the importance for us to, to pass the torch and for us to continually teach and train people that would come behind us. And, uh, and we're going to look at that today. I, I guess I was reminded of that verse because this week I took my daughter out to college and uh, I was out there and dropping her off. And uh, in, in so doing, uh, they had a, just a special chapel service kind of bringing all the students in and touched on that verse about, uh, about doing that. And that was their idea was to teach and to train those people. And, uh, and I love that, that mentality and I love their zeal for that. And I thought... Boy, we need that kind of zeal to teach and to train people who would come after us. And all of us can have a responsibility in so doing that. We find here in verse number 19 uh, that, that the Bible says, So he departed, talking about Elijah, So he departed thence and found Elisha. You know, there's a great deal in the Bible that's mentioned about seeking. And uh, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. See, uh, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And we find, you can find verse after verse after verse after verse in the Bible that talks about seeking. Uh, and that's that's looking for something. Uh, as we go back, look with me in, in verse number 16 the, from the prior lesson. Uh, this is one of the things that God told Elijah to do. He said, uh, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, 
shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And then the second portion of that verse says, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel... Boy, there's that big old long word I didn't realize was in there. Abel Mihola, uh, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And, uh, and, uh, and so God had, had said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to anoint Elisha. Uh, and so he knew what, where, who it was, but God didn't say, hey, here he is, you know, um, present, it, present him right to you. Uh, he had to go and find him. And so we find there in verse number 19, the Bible says, so he departed thence and found Elisha. Uh, you know, a lot of people, we hear it a lot today, that uh, the, the complaint is this, so that people are not surrendering to the ministry today. And that people are not going into the ministry today. And, and so I have to ask myself, are we seeking to see people surrender to the ministry? Are we seeking to find people that would give their lives and sacrifice? Are we the ones that are, are, are trying to uh, find people that would be interested in dedicating their life to serving the Lord? Sometimes we'll say, you'll hear too, uh, well, people just don't want to get saved today, and people aren't getting saved today. And I have to pause and ask ourselves, are we seeking to see people saved? Because if we're not seeking to see people saved, then we're not going to see people saved. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it, the Bible says that this in Matthew 13, Jesus gave a parable and, and he says this. He said, behold, a sower went forth to sow. In other words, hey, he took seeds with him and he went out and he scattered those seeds. The Bible says even along the way as he went and he spread those seeds everywhere. And I can promise you this, that if you do not sow seeds, you will not get fruit. It's not rocket science. In my, in my yard, I do not have a garden. You know why I don't have a garden? Because I did not go out and plow the dirt. And because I did not go out and plow the dirt, and I did not get seeds, uh, although I have seeds in my house, I did not plant them in the ground. And if I don't plant those seeds in the ground, you know what's going to happen? I won't have a garden. I won't have any fruit. You understand that? How many understand that? You're with me? All right, you're, you're with me. Uh, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's not difficult. And so if we're not bothering to plant gospel seeds, and that's what Jesus was saying to do, then we will not see people saved. Now, there are hard places and there are hard things, and sometimes people simply will not be saved. But let it not be because we are not planting the seed. We have got to be planting the seed. That's important. And we find Elisha, or Elijah rather, he went out seeking for Elisha and he found him. We find his uh, seeking uh, of the worker. And he certainly found that worker uh, in Elisha and he certainly uh, was there. And so we see his pursuit of Elijah uh, or Elisha. And we have to sow in order to reap fruit. And so we find that in verse number 19. But I want you to notice this. Look with me, and I love this passage about uh, Elisha. The Bible says in verse 19, So he departed thence and found Elisha. That would be his pursuit. The son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. I want you to notice the productivity of Elisha. 
Elijah was pursuing who God had called him to anoint as the next prophet in his, uh, in his stead. But I want you to notice the productivity of Elisha. He was plowing. You know what? He was not idly sitting by saying, man, I wonder, uh, I wonder what I'm going to do with my life. And twiddling his thumbs and saying, boy, I don't know what I'm doing. No, Elisha was a working person. He was active. He was busy. Uh, I heard it said many years ago that if you want somebody to get something done, that you need to ask somebody who is busy. Uh, because busy people get things done. And, uh, and that's certainly true. And we find Elisha here as a very productive person. And the Bible says this in Proverbs, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, he shall beg and harvest and have nothing. Boy, we need to, we need to be busy uh, serving the Lord. We need to be busy and work. We need to be busy and not, uh, not idle in our life. The Bible talks a lot about, in the book of Proverbs, about uh, laziness and idleness and not working and not serving. And, and I don't know, uh, it seems like in 2020, uh, it, it, a lot of mindsets changed. It was already being kind of subtly instilled in them, but, but now it's like uh, you're allowed to call off for, for whatever reason you want. I mean, if you have a headache, just don't go to work. I mean, uh, there really, things have changed, and our society has become such an idle, uh, idle society, really a lazy society. It scares me for the future. And I think, man, where are we going? You know, I mean, uh, who's going to uh, fill the void? I, I, a company, it seems like every company you deal with, well, we're shorthanded. And, uh, and boy, we are. Everyone's shorthanded. Everyone doesn't have the help that they need. And we can't find people who are productive. Elisha was a productive person that was busy plowing the field. He was working. Not only was he working, but I want you to notice, I'm assuming that he was probably wealthy. Um, you look at Elisha, and, uh, and here he is. Uh, the Bible says that he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I'm making the assumption that those were his and not a community project. I'm making the assumption that he was plowing his fields and not a community field, and, uh, which would kind of fit. Uh, and so I'm assuming that his parents or his dad would have other servants. And I want you to picture uh, and think about the fact that, man, they've got 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 oxen that are out there plowing. Um, I've, I've, my dad grew up as a farmer, and so my dad would always, he always interested us in farming. He'd always point to tractors, and my dad always loved uh, the, the cows and uh, the different, he, he said, this is a Jersey cow, this is a Holstein cow, and uh, I don't remember the rest. I didn't pay that close attention because uh, I didn't know much about cows, but, uh, uh, but he, would, he knew the different types of cows, and we'd go by farms, and he'd point this out and point that out, and, and, uh, and I do know this, that if you're plowing with a tractor and your plow is only this wide, then it's going to take you longer to plow uh, the entire field. And you can only plow so much. If you go by, you ever see, I, I drive by sometimes these tractors. 
and they're massive machines. Like some of them are so tall uh, that you probably could drive a small car underneath of them and never even hit them. And, uh, and they have these big, long, extensive tools out the back uh, that, that are just huge, and they can plow uh, a large amount of land uh, at one swath. Well, that, that's kind of the idea here, that they have 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 oxen. And I thought, what? When I first read it, I imagined 12 in a row, and I thought, why on earth would you plow? What are you plowing, a rock? I mean, that you have to have 12 oxen? But I, after I thought about it, that didn't make logical sense. I thought, must be you have two oxen and their plows. They didn't have big, extensive plows. And so they had one plow that would turn over the dirt, and then another set of pair of oxen that had another plow that would do the next row, and they would do that, and so... Uh, Boy, those guys would make one pass, and 12 rows would be done. Those guys turn around and come back and make another pass, and another 12 rows would be done. And 24, you could turn a lot of dirt in a short amount of time with 12 yoke of oxen. And so uh, I'm assuming that he was well off. Uh, he was, he, not only was he working and well off, but I think he was wise, if you think about it, and the way they were working. Um, that was pretty smart. I mean, uh, you know, if you would only have uh, four oxen, then you'd turn over, you know, get, get yourself two sets and, and go about it to, to get it done in a faster amount of time. And so we see Elisha as a very productive guy that is busy working in his father's fields. Now, I want you to notice this in verse number 19. Not only can we see his, uh, the pursuit of Elisha, the productivity of Elisha, but I want you to notice the prompting. And this one is, is, is curious. The Bible says there at the end of verse number 19, he says, And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Now, I'll be the first to mention, I don't fully understand all the reasonings of throwing his mantle on him. The mantle was the outer garment of Elijah. And, uh, and obviously it was very significant in that he was known by his mantle. He was known uh, by the clothes that he would wear. And, and, uh, and he took that off, uh, be like his outer garment. He would take that off and he just kind of threw it on Elijah as he walked by. I thought, that is a strange picture. And maybe there's some cultural thing there uh, that, that I don't know what it is. I, I don't really understand all of it, to be honest with you. But I do know this, that you think about the significance of that mantle. And, uh, and Elijah was known for his mantle. Uh, he was known for his dress and his appearance. We talked about this in the very beginning. Elijah was a very rustic man. He came from a hard area in the mountains, and he was very much a, a, uh, a fellow that had a hard life in that not hard with sin, but uh, hard that, that everything that he labored for uh, came by a lot of labor. And, and that's just the area that he was from. And, uh, and so people would look at him and he'd come into the city and the only time he came into the city uh, was to make public announcements that God had given him. And so he would come in, he was very peculiar, and uh, people would see him and be, boy, that guy's not from around here. He doesn't fit in here. And so he stood out because of his mantle. But you notice there in, in verse number 13 as well, the Bible says that he uh, wrapped that mantle around his face when he was on the mountain. And he covered his face with that, that mantle. 
I want you to notice, we'll look at it later, but in 2 Kings, when Elijah is going over where he is going to be taken out, he takes his mantle off and he snaps the water. And as he does so, the Bible says that the river opens up and he crosses over on dry ground, him and Elisha. And on, as, the, as the, the chariot of fire comes and picks up Elijah and, and takes him out of here, the Bible makes mention that that mantle fell and was left behind. And Elisha picks up that mantle, and as he comes back to the river, and he's there standing at the river, he takes that mantle just as Elijah had done, and he snaps the water, and, and he says this, Where is the God of of Elijah and God opens up that river and he walks across on dry ground and I'm just saying that mantle was significant in the life and ministry of Elijah and it carried over into Elisha and and by him uh, casting that mantle onto, onto Elisha obviously meant, I don't know if there were words exchanged that were not recorded for us, uh, but obviously there was at least enough significance that we can gather from the text that Elisha knew, hey, I'm to follow this man. And he did. And so we see that in the text that he followed, and we're talking about the seeking, and we see all of that, his pursuit of Elijah, and Elisha's productivity and his prompting of Elisha. But I want you to notice his uh, surrender. In verse number 20, look with me there. The Bible says this, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. I want you to notice his petition right off the top. He says, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. This was a request. He was not making excuses for why he could not serve, but rather he was making a genuine request to Elijah saying, hey, uh, listen, I'm going to follow you, but hey, let me go home and let me just let my parents know that I'm leaving. And, uh, and it was a request. This request that he made was significant and that he was, he was getting permission and he was showing, hey, I, I'm going to submit myself to your authority and I'm willing to follow you and I am asking that you would just give me leave for a, a little bit to go and, and, uh, and let my parents know that I'm out of here. And, uh, and so we see his request and his petition that he made and how it was also not just a request, but it was also the idea of respect to to two things, to Elijah and to his parents. He didn't just assume, uh, hey, I'm going to do this. He, he talked to Elijah and he got uh, permission to be able to go back to his parents. And, and, uh, and listen, you look at Elijah and his life. And after the prediction of three years of no rain, and, uh, and the great showdown on Mount Carmel and how, uh, how he had called down fire from heaven and, and eliminated those prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal that were killed on that mount. There's no doubt that everyone in Israel, because that happened two months prior, okay, even, even though they didn't have internet, and even though they didn't have the, uh, the news broadcast, and even though they didn't have even a uh, postal system and mail or email, and they didn't have text and cell phones, uh, certainly by two months' time, everybody in Israel knew who Elijah was. 
I mean, there was no doubt. This man with the camel's hair and the mantle, uh, boy, I mean, he was just a, a wild man. And he came in and, and, and he prayed and God sent fire down from heaven. I mean, that would spread like crazy throughout all of Israel. And on every street corner, they would be talking about that. And, and certainly it was something that was discussed. And I'm just noting this, that, uh, that Elijah, his reputation preceded him. When he came by and threw that mantle on, and I'm sure that Elisha thought, this is that man of God that I heard about. Hey, this is the guy that was out in, up in Mount Carmel. This is the guy that came and, and told Ahab that it wasn't going to rain until he prayed. And this is that guy. And so he had a great deal of respect for this man of God that had served God. It was evident that God was on Elijah's life. It was evident that God had used Elijah. And so he had a great deal of respect for who Elijah was. Not only that, but I want you to notice uh, his parents and his love for them. He said in verse 20, he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. You know, it's interesting. Elisha was not a rebel child. He was somebody who cared about his parents. He was somebody that, uh, that honored his mom and his dad. And he went back. We don't know how old he was. Uh, I'm assuming that he wasn't uh, probably a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. Uh, he was probably a little bit older. He was plowing in the fields and working. And, and I'm assuming probably a young adult man. Uh, but still, even in his young adult state, he said, you know what? I'm going to go back. I don't want to let my parents know that I'm leaving. Because I love my parents, and I care about my parents. And we see his love, and his compassion, and his tender-hearted uh, attitude towards his parents. Then look at the last part in verse number 20. He says this. He says, and then I will follow thee. It was a commitment. You know, Elijah... I'm sure he, I have no doubt that he heard of the great ministry of Elijah. and He wanted in. He said, man, I want to be where God is working. And I want to be where God is, is serving. You notice Elisha, uh, he didn't ask, what's the vacation package that I'm going to get if I'm going to come work for you? He didn't ask Elisha or Elijah. Uh, he didn't say, wait a minute, what's, what's the pay? I've got to make sure that I'm going to make it. He didn't even ask him, wait, what's the job that I'm going to be doing? I mean, uh, you know, if I'm just going to be following you around and, and cleaning up after your horse, uh, I'm not interested in that. No, he wasn't, he wasn't interested in any of those details. He knew this, that Elijah was a man of God, and he knew this, I want to be where God is working, and I want to be serving uh, somebody that God is using. And so Elisha made a promise to follow Elijah, and he certainly did that. And we find there uh, in verse number 20, he said that I will follow thee. Boy, we need people that are committed. We need people that would exercise faith and follow God. We must be willing to follow God and, and step out by faith to follow Him. We see Elisha's submission. We see Elijah's seeking. I want you to notice in verse number 21, Elisha's statement that he makes with his actions. I've said this saying before, and I'll repeat it again. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Did you get that? Your walk talks and your talk 
talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You sum all that up in saying your actions speak louder than your words. You, you, you say a lot of things, we say a lot of things, but the, his actions prove what he was doing. Look in verse number 21, his statement that he makes with his actions. He says, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. He took the yoke that, that was on those oxen and he cut it up and he, and he splintered it up and he started a fire so that he could take and kill those oxen and cook and boil the meat of those oxen with that. What does all that mean? It means this. He was saying goodbye to his old way of life. He was saying, hey, I'm done with these oxen. I'm done with these instruments. I'm not going back to this. I'm cutting it out, and I'm going to follow Elijah, and there's no turning back. When I come back, uh, there is, it's not going to be easy. I'd have to go make another yoke for the oxen. I'd have to go buy a couple more oxen. He was, he was saying, I'm not turning back and going uh, back to my old life. And we see it was a permanent uh, solution. Uh, these oxen were a symbol of his livelihood. He quit his job and turned in his two-week notice. And then he took his last two weeks of vacation and said, I'm out of here. I'm done. And he walked away. Why? To follow Elijah. Not only was it a permanent thing, because he, he slew the, or broke the instruments as well, but I want you to notice it was a public thing. Look at what it says in verse 21. He says uh, in the middle of there, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. He said, hey, you know what? I'm making a public announcement. He threw a party, took those oxen that he had killed. He boiled the meat. Obviously, he wasn't going to eat it all, so he had way more meat than he could eat. And he invited everyone. He said, hey, uh, I want you to notice, hey, I am going to serve the Lord with Elijah. And he stepped out. And he said, I want everyone to know. I want everyone to be aware. I want everyone to know that, that I'm publicly uh, following Elijah. It was a very public announcement that he made. And he made it everyone aware of it. And I want you to notice this in verse number 21. This is uh, the part that I, I love. He says here, the very last part, Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. He ministered unto him. You know what? It was a personal service. It's been stated that one cannot be a leader until they learn to follow. Elisha didn't go so that, uh, I'm sure he, did, he probably did not even know or understand that he would be the next prophet in the room of Elijah. He simply uh, had that mantle cast on him. And he said, man, this is the man of God. This is that mantle that I heard about that was on Mount Carmel. This is the, the, uh, the prophet in Israel that has been uh, proclaiming the word of God. And I want in with this guy. I want to be with him because God is using him in a mighty way. And, and so he follows along. But he probably did not even know uh, what he was getting into per se. But he knew this. I want to follow God. And we see at the end of verse 21, and he ministered unto him. He said, I am going to be Elijah's servant and serve him. You know, it's interesting. You can find that all throughout Scripture. 
I was reading this morning, we're going to look at Joshua in, in the morning service. And, and you know what? Joshua ministered to Moses before he was ever in charge of Israel. You, you find time and time again, Samuel served as a young boy, as a young lad, Eli, in the temple. Elisha served Elijah. The disciples served Jesus and followed him around for three and a half years. And I'm just saying there is something to serving uh, under somebody else and, and learning and, and, and growing. And Elisha did that with Elijah. I preach a message, and I don't think I've ever preached it here, but um, you read through all of that and you get to the next stage when Elisha is the man of God and God is using him in a mighty way. And he has a servant and his servant's name is uh, Gehazi. And I don't know how to pronounce it in English or Spanish or Hebrew. So uh, I just pronounce it the way I do. Gehazi or Gehazi, I say sometimes. And, and he, was, he was Elisha's servant. What's really interesting and what's fascinating is you track Gehazi's life and you find that he became covetous and, and a rich man. You remember the, uh, the, the captain of, of the Syrian army came and he dipped himself in the muddy Jordan River seven times and was healed of his leprosy and he left and he tried, before he left, he tried to pay Elisha and Elisha said, I'm not taking any money, I'm not taking the change of raiment and he leaves and Gehazi sees that and, and later uh, he kind of slips out when Elisha is not looking and he chases down that, uh, that commander who was very wealthy by the way and, and Gehazi says, uh, you know, a couple of guys came and we really could use a little bit of money and a change of clothes uh, for these prophets that don't have anything. And, and of course, the commander is, is more than happy to, to, to give him that stuff that he asked. I mean, that wasn't even a fraction of what he had offered. And, and Gehazi lied, and he took all that stuff, and he hid it. And he comes back to the man of God, Elisha. And Elisha says, where, where were you? Where have you gone, Gehazi? And he said, I didn't go anywhere. And he lied and tried to cover it up. And we find that Elisha says, when, I know where you went. I know that you left. And basically, God revealed it to him. And basically, the idea of the story is, he said, the, the leprosy that Naaman had is going to be on you. And I think it's so sad. Because here was a very possible candidate to be the next man of God who blew his opportunity and wasted his life and you don't read anything further about the life of Gehazi until one day you find one other mention of him. He's serving a king in some capacity. And, uh, and, and he says, oh, that was that man of God that I used to serve. And that's all you read about his life. You don't, you don't read anything further. We find that Elisha ministered unto Elijah. What a great example we find. And then God uses him tremendously. We find that example after example after example in the, in the Word of God, how that uh, we minister and we serve other people. What did, Jesus said it this way. He said, he said his disciples were arguing, who's the greatest among us? Who's the greatest? He said, the greatest is he that serves, the minister, he that would would serve other people. What an encouragement in our life that we would minister 
and we would serve other people. What a statement that Elisha made with his life. He said, I'm not going back. He made a public profession, and he personally ministered unto Elijah with his life and with his time. What a great example of a worker in Elisha. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, are we sowing the seed? Are we seeking? Maybe people aren't getting saved because we're not seeking. Maybe people aren't surrendering because we're not seeking. Maybe people aren't getting saved because we're not sowing the seed. Are we seeking the lost? We see not only... Elijah seeking, but we see Elisha surrendering. Oh, how we need to be surrendered and submitted. But then lastly, we see his statement that he was publicly proclaiming, I'm following God. I'm following the man of God. And then he personally served and invested in his time, his energy, his effort into serving the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can help us, God, to be saved first and foremost. God, if we're not saved, we certainly cannot be serving you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts, that you'd help and strengthen each and every Christian as only you can. God, I pray that you would move and speak to hearts. And Father, we'll thank you for that. God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar is open. And we just want to pray there in your seat, whatever the need.